ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the name of the little farting animal that kills all the crops that Billy Crystal is? Yeah. Pumba? I was Pumba. out on that. At, as soon as he started fart killing the, uh, the foliage, I was like, I'm done. Fart jokes are uh, a key component of Once children's films. Once again, Tim, you and I, the real Americans, find right. ourselves on the same right. page. I yeah, guess in Berkeley, funny. they don't like fart humor. But I'm <laughs> here to not. tell you that farts are hilarious in Knoxville. Funny Tennessee. stuff. Jeff, the, the plants are dying because his fart stinks so bad. That's why it's funny. Oh, that changes everything. I'll go check it out again. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. This evening, welcome to 1997. Uh, Jeff, is Berkeley, California still intact? Yeah, it, it, we're actually experiencing a season. It's been crisp, <laughs> hey. and fall, and in the 50s, everyone's freaking out. Everyone's remembering their East Coast roots and <laughs> football. It's pretty great. Uh, and Ben Barton, speaking of football, how are the volunteers doing in Knoxville? Cold-blooded. Uh, that, volunteers oh, are really? having a struggle, but I want, I no I want to give you some good news. Okay. Texas A&M had a huge COVID outbreak, so we don't have to play on Saturday. <laughs> and if they can't play in December, we might get a win by forfeit. So hey, I'm now. dancing. I'm hoping wow. those guys just keep breathing on each other. Who knew that COVID was the actual 12th man? That's, oh, dude, that's our best oh, God. bet these days, for oh, sure. This is just <laughs> terrible. So what, on the campus or on the football team, they've had the outbreak? Dude, it's a and I don't care about them. I mean, <laughs> okay, like, sorry. I hope nobody dies. But yeah, right. I think the football team got sick. Okay. Um, well, that is not the opening I wanted to uh, our podcast. But we are uh, 50-Year-Old White Guys, and we are covering 50 years of music here on the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network. Uh, we are excited to be here for you. Uh, 1997, I'm still in Vegas. Ben, where are you? Uh, Indy, Canada, and I have moved from Baltimore, Maryland to okay. uh, Princeton, New Jersey, where my oh. brilliant wife has got a full ride to get a master's in public policy at Princeton. Damn, Sam. Wow, that's really smart. Uh, Jeff Simons, kick, kicking away. I was here. Still here. <laughs> This our first. This our first summer of grad school together, though, which was fun. That is that was, true. That was a big improvement. That is good. That picked me up as well. Um, it is uh, Bill Clinton's, the beginning of his second term as president of the United States. I hope that goes well for him and the country. Um, no distractions. No distractions. Just focus on the work. Yeah, He named someone Secretary of State in January 1997, and it was a big deal. Who was it? 
I can't remember. And it was a big deal because it was our first female Secretary of State. I love this heat, Timmy. I have no idea. Help us. Help us, brother. <laughs> it was Madeline Albright. Oh, I should have gotten that one. Golly. That's weak. Well, you know, do you have come... any uh, Olympics questions for Jeff? <laughs> you... Not in 97, no. But I've got a Broadway question for the two of you. Oh, better yet. Which oh, yeah. remarkably successful Broadway musical opens in 1997? No idea. Uh, Rent? It is. Oh. No, it is uh, a Disney movie made into a musical. Lion King? Lion King is correct. Have either of you seen it? No. No. (laughs) I saw the movie. I saw the movie. movie. I saw the movie once in the theater and hated it and uh, have never looked back ever, never revisited any of it. Wow. I liked the movie and I saw the live action one. I'm sure you did too, right, Tim? Yeah. Why were you so out on the movie? Oh, I thought it sucked. Scary? All the like most obvious, stupid Disney. Like when, what's the name of the little farting animal that kills all the crops (laughs) that Billy Crystal is? Yeah. I was out in that. As soon as he started fart killing the uh the foliage i was like i'm done fart jokes are uh, a key component of once children's again films. tim you and i the real americans find right. ourselves on the same right. page yeah. i guess That's in berkeley right. they don't like fart humor but i'm <laughs> here to not. tell you that farts are hilarious in knoxville funny Tennessee. stuff and to engage in rich political dialogue i would have been on board <laughs> jeff the, the plants are dying because his fart stinks so bad that's why it's funny Oh, that changes everything. I'll go check it out again. All right. Um, All right. See if you guys could get this. I hate this movie. It was terribly, terribly long, uh, but I love the outfits. Which movie wins Best Picture in 1997? The English Patient? There you go, Jeff Simons. We're back. We're back. Let's go. Um, all right, no, that's enough. That's pretty good. I don't need for that. Oh, really? Yeah. Hey, can we have a timeout real quick? Yeah, sure. Are those new glasses? I know, dude, the Harry Carey? <laughs> I was gonna say, does Harry Carey know you robbed his grave? Um, I, these are, these are great Hey, hey Norm, glasses. you look like a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad <laughs> Jeff's not <laughs> Jeff Simons refuses to laugh at fart jokes, but making fun of kids in glasses. Woo! Oh, I guess I've never all seen about it before. I know it's impressive. Much smaller frames going. Those are like those are big. I have several pairs of reading glasses. Okay, uh, my students really appreciate these ones. They really like them. <laughs> all right, let's get to the Grammy winner. Can we focus on on Ben Barton's face? Because I'm really interested in what he thinks of this song. I'm surprised. I'm not surprised at the number one hit. I am surprised at the Grammy winner. Go ahead, Jeff. It's the Grammy winner. Sunny Came Home by Sean Colvin. Yeah. Really? 
All right, Ben, ben Barn, what's your opinion of the song? So um, Jeff will know this. Sean Colvin came and played at Haverford when she was not famous at all, and she was so good. Oh, yep. good. Really, really, really good. And Jeff Simons may not remember this. Uh, the closing song, her big number was Diamond in the Rough, which I still ride hard for. Such a spectacular song. Brilliantly written. And the solo acoustic version of that song is just, oh, all-timer. It really, I had that on my short list for those years. Like, that was one of the songs of the years when we were in college. Oh, cool. To the point where, and hopefully Jeff doesn't know this, this was one of my go-to make-out songs for the ladies. Like, I'm sorry, Diamond in the Rough? Or, Diamond or... in the Rough. I put Diamond in the Rough on, and I was explaining this to India later, and she was like, well, why would you choose that song? I was like, this is an explanation for why you're making out with Ben Barton. Your hope is that you've got a Diamond in the Rough. That's the best <laughs> I can hope for. Like, that's my pitch to you, ladies, is I could be a Diamond in the Rough. It's obvious I'm probably cold, but just let's, let's keep hope alive while we're there. There is a subtext here, ladies. You got to keep up so, with it. Um, we saw her and it was amazing. She puts out her first produced record with a whole band and they re-record Diamond in the Rough as a band song and it's it's borderline unlistenable. Oh, like God. it's so bad. And she's just crippled by her production and the record company. They saddle her with the wrong sound over and over and over again. This one's actually sort of and like and then she puts out a cover album. You know what I mean? Like they just keep making her do things that put her in a position not to succeed. Obviously, she got a Grammy, so maybe this right. is the position to see. But, I mean, when I saw her play live solo acoustic, and, I mean, like, she could, like, in my opinion, she could have definitely had the um, the career, one of these solo acoustic female careers, where she's still out playing right now, like the Indigo Girls, like, where she's just still right. doing that. Somehow, this, like, overproduced version of her really, really, really didn't play very well. Like, again, I imagine if I heard her play this song solo acoustic, I would be like, oh, I kind of like that. But as this version of it, I'm just not into it. So I saw this tour, and I actually saw the two exact kind of artists you're talking about on the same bill, because this is Sean Colvin's, this is her hero moment. I can't believe it won the Grammy. I don't know how that happened. Um, the Grammys continue to be a puzzle. What a puzzler. But I love this song because um, I saw her do it live and live with a four piece without it, you know, with her and a lead guitarist, bass, drums stripped down. It, it hit like a like a wallop. And I really enjoyed her set, even though there were moments when I wish it had been more intimate. Opening act that night, Patty Griffin. Oh, yeah. Before her first record is out, playing all those songs from Living With Ghosts, just like voice, guitar and filling the whole room I'm definitely the alpha and omega of Sean Colvin's career, but uh, I really like this record. Uh, a few small repairs. I don't. It's, there's some stuff in the middle that's hard to listen. That sounds like very '90s dated. Um, but I this one and get out of this house and there's a couple other really good songs on here. She's. Uh, I think she's 41 when she wins the Grammy. She. This whole record is about a, a terrible divorce that she had, oh. and uh, not to name a whole bunch of names, but I. I interviewed a guy a year later whose road manager was Sean Colvin's ex-husband. Oh, and interesting. So I heard this whole record about this horrible guy who'd done all these terrible things to her. And then he was the guy I was emailing back and forth with. To say oh, awkward. He was, yeah, it was, I mean, he was, a, he was lovely to me, but it was definitely one of those like, 
hey, I know a lot more about you than you know about me moments. You know? Well, maybe he, uh, he used it as a chance for growth. Let's hope so. Well, let's hope so. Um, What's the best Grammy song in a long time, yes? I mean, I think so. Good. I mean, I, I mean, listenable. I, really listenable. Oh, yeah. Um, Best sense, don't worry, be happy. Yep. Uh, all right. Divorce becomes legal in Ireland. Excellent work by them. Uh, we got a Jeff Simons, you're our Olympics expert. But you're also our cult expert on the podcast, and okay. uh, I want to I want to know about the Heaven's Gate cult suicide that happened in 1997. So this is San Diego, right? This is this, this is correct. These folks, yes, these folks are all living in a house together, and, uh, and, and 39 of them commit suicide together. Yeah, and and it's bec- and this is the spaceship group, right? That, the that is correct. To take them all away to another place. And uh, so they all they all drink the Kool Aid to prepare for the space voyage. I uh, can't remember the name of the leader though. Uh, I can't either, but it's because the H- Hal Bop comet was coming back around That's again. Right, it was the comet, the Hal Bop comet. Yeah, was the and they the world they, and the arrival of the spacecraft. The right. spacecraft was going to be in the tail of the comet, and they had to commit suicide, of course, to get on the spacecraft. And by the way, y'all are just jealous. They're enjoying the back of that comet right now. <laughs> right yeah. now, they're like playing pinochle and just digging it. <laughs> Who are we to say, right? Who are we to judge? Maybe, maybe you're right. Sorry, Jeff, what did you say? That funny bit about suicide solving all your problems. He's like, got a problem with the environment? Kill yourself. It's not your problem anymore. <laughs> it was dark, super dark, but... I think I it was Soundgarden. Too soon. Too soon. Kyle's not even here to defend himself anymore. He's not. We haven't even introduced him. So, all right. Oh, now we got to get to the sad stuff. All right. Princess Diana dies in a car crash. She's being chased by paparazzi, and she doesn't know that her driver is under the influence of both drugs and alcohol as he flees from the paparazzi, uh, and she dies in that car crash on my birthday oh august 31st well it was 30th in america they were <laughs> okay ahead it was late it was early morning on the 31st i see i see okay, okay. nice try jeff good <laughs> work trying to, glom on, trying to glom on to princess diana have a little respect perfectly nice birthday party until somebody said hey turn on the news and then it was oh, not such a nice birthday gosh that's terrible um i couldn't go to my makeout song that <laughs> we also had uh mother Teresa. which by died. the way is short okay. people <laughs> <laughs> Right, Randy Newman. I want to show people to give us the little hands and little feet part. <laughs> little, the go, I like the peep, peep, peep. That's my favorite part, the voices. <laughs> little voices go with peep, peep, peep. All right. That is so disturbing. And you uh, you totally buried my uh, Mother Teresa story because she dies as well. 
Also on Jeff's birthday, no doubt. Uh, I'm sure he's glomping onto her. It's the number one hit. Candle in the Wind, 97, by Elton John. Oh, this is one of the ones I hate. Goodbye, England's Rose. May you ever grow in our hearts. You were the greatest place to sell. Where lives were torn apart. All right, stop, stop. So can can you do this? I know we've had this, we've had questions on this podcast before about the appropriateness of Natalie Cole <laughs> digging up her dad's recordings and singing over them, uh, or Eric Clapton singing about his son's tragic death. If you want to write and record a song about Princess Di, don't you have to write and record a song about Princess Di? You can't just take Marilyn Monroe's song and just put on a few new lyrics like England's Rose. Was she ever called England's Rose? That's just made up anyways. Now you're singing my tune, man. I am This is just a straight up cash grab. And Elton John definitely, I mean, bless his heart, as we would say in the South, like he wants to stay relevant. And this was certainly relevant, dude. You could not walk outside your room without having this huge hit. But it was brutal. And also, it was like, you know, this was one of the songs by Elton John where I was like, eh, you know, like Tiny Dancer, Candle on the Wind. Like, you know, it's on the list of things that I can kind of stand. But then he had to spoil this, too. He, he ruined it. He ruined it. Here's the part that's unforgivable. Like, you remember that all of the proceeds to the Candle on the Wind purchase of the single were going to the landmine relief organization. That awesome. Was please, please tell me that's still true. Well. Uh-oh. The profits to the song "Candle on the Wind" '97 went to the to the, but there's a B side. He threw something about the way you look tonight on as the B side, and all the profits of the sale of that song went into the pockets of Elton John. So that song was a huge hit too. Well, I mean, I'm saying it's the same record. The single sold, you don't remember this? It sold over 100 million copies. It supposedly raised $211 million for the charity, but it also raised $211 million for Elton John at but, the same time. But nobody because bought it for the other song, Jeff Simons. He didn't, he didn't donate the profits of the B-side. He only donated the profits but of the But there are no profits <laughs> to the B-side. This makes me like it better, by the way. Now I'm into it. I'm like, <laughs> go, Elton. Get your cake, baby. Do it. it. That part I just find so gross. Oh, come on. Those landmine guys, they can hop along to some other problem. Like, <laughs> Elton needs that money. They probably lost at least half their limbs to the landmines. They can, they'll be happy with half the money. For sure, see? Okay. Yeah, that part, I find that part uh, just so gross. That did not come up in Rocket Man, surprisingly. That little, that little business. That little move. tidbit. Oh, that is depressing as heck. Yep. Uh, now I'm all, now I'm all mad. Okay. In 1996, we didn't talk about this. Evander Holyfield fought Mike Tyson. Uh, my buddy, Joe, Jeff, who you've met, begged me, begged me to put money on Holyfield. And I said, cause I was living in Vegas and I could go bet on a boxing match and he couldn't. Um, and I said, I won't do that to you. And he's like, I'm sending the money right now. And I'm like, no. I'm saving you from losing $1,000. Uh, turns out I was wrong. Holyfield won. 
Is this the ear biting one? And yes. then the, the rematch is 1997. Holyfield wins that as well, but it's not from a TKO. It's a DQ. What happens? Tyson bit his ear off. <laughs> and I've got, I've got such a good story. Thank you for teeing me up. And 19, is it 97 or 98? It's, that we go to 90, 90s, oh, that you and I go? Yeah, when's the Billboard Music Awards? I, I can't remember. It's probably 97. I think it's the fall of 97. Okay. Um, e Online flies yeah, to Las Vegas to cover the yeah. Billboard Music Awards for no reason whatsoever, except that I have a friend who works at E and he wants to give me a vacation to Las Vegas. I meet up with Tim. I give Tim the ticket that I have to go watch the show and I stay backstage where the press are supposed to be. And we're all supposed to stay at these sad tables underneath and eat craft services and watch the show and write about it. But I realize that all the stars are out in the hallway waiting to go up and present an award. So I just wander out there and everyone's there just hanging out. And I get to talk to Buster Rhymes. I talk to Tony Braxton. I talk oh. By far and away, the great moment is I'm, I'm suddenly face to face with with Evander and we're chatting oh. and I call him champ and he loves it. And he had, I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And we talk for like two minutes and I say, Hey man, I got to ask. And he kind of looks around and goes, you want, you want to touch it? <laughs> I say, yeah, yeah, I really do. And he, and he, he bends on and he lets me touch his ear, which has just three enormously hilarious, accurate, tooth marks in it. I mean, Tyson just bit that thing off in one chomp and spit it out. And Holyfield was like, that's eh, fine. It oh my God. So I have not, I've, I've not only seen it, but I've actually, I've touched. actually touched Evander's chewed up ear with my own left hand. Wow. Ben, what's your Evander Holyfield ear story? Oh no, I asked to touch it, but it was something different. <laughs> oh man unbelievable that was one of those moments where like i was in vegas and you hear the news report it's like wait what what just happened and yeah it also, was crazy i was watching it like you did you guys see it live i was definitely watching i was no it's not live but um well, you start jumping up and down i mean it was but it's that's what crazy footage it was That's really when, sad for Tyson. I mean, to, to fall was, to that level. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It was really bleak. Uh, speaking of sad, in 96 in Vegas, Tupac is shot and killed. Uh, gosh, in, in like the first three months uh, of when I moved there. And then in 97, uh, Biggie is killed. Uh, any relation between those two unsolved murders? Well, you apparently had just moved there. What's your alibi for? But uh, I was not in LA when Biggie was killed. I find it I find it remarkable that they have no leads and no progress of any kind on that. Well, I I think they pretty much know who who shot Tupac, um, and and he died uh, I think a year later in a in a in a drive by. But I don't. I've never. I never understood the East Coast West Coast thing, and I had no idea. I was talking to Ben earlier that Biggie was only twenty four. I thought he was older. He was like, like the leader of the East Coast rap. No. 
Yeah, so the Biggie and the Tupac thing was the natural end to where it was all heading. Like, they moved so hard into gangster rap. And, dude, I, if you don't know it backwards and forwards, you should listen to Hit Em Up, the Tupac song. It's so it's – a, it's a diss rap against Biggie. You can't believe how mean it is. The first – like, the, in the first 30 seconds of the song, he's like, I fucked your wife, you fat motherfucker. And then wow. he's like, there's another guy, and then I can't remember the name of it. There's another rapper in that crew where he's like, doesn't one of you have sickle cell? Like, in the first 30 seconds. Jeepers. And then the end of it is just them saying, we're going to shoot you, we're going to shoot you, we're going to shoot you. And then um, my daughter, my older daughter, really, really, really likes Biggie. And, like, you forget, like, that, like speaking of the Soundgarden suicide stuff, the Biggie suicide stuff is grim grim he's got multiple songs about how he can't wait to die he hates himself he's got like there's, there's several suicide songs oh, God. like they were foretelling their own deaths and then it happened and it's just super grim and actually it's a weirdly it's a great cautionary tale like the like the a lot fewer people have died in hip-hop since then but they yeah. they were not like they there's the people who are like talking about that life and the people who actually live that life and then there's the people who are play acting it to the point where they freaking kill each other yeah and that's what yeah. happened with these dudes like super talented people who made a bunch of money like and you can hear it in jay-z and kanye and other people like and uh all of these guys like when they talk about it they're like i like i don't want to die like why would you <laughs> die like that seems sort of pointless die and painful no, really gunshots those, are bad those records are really nihilistic and the real meaning of that word, like they're really, they were really uh, without hope. They were hopeless records, especially Bicky's record, man. That Ready to Die record is, uh, it's a really, um, it, it's a even more sobering listen now, I think, than it was in the moment. Because it, Yeah, although that being said, dude had bangers. I prefer, yeah. I mean, I'll just be frank. I'm an East Coast guy. I like him better than Tupac. Like, I could name five to ten Biggie songs that I'm just like, oh, ride or die for that. They're bangers. All right. Hey, a new segment on the 50-year-old, <laughs> shit, a new segment <laughs> On 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, it's, uh, it's Welcome to the Vortex. Longtime listener, Kyle. Kyle, what's your last name? It's Caprista. Caprista. Yes, sir. Kyle. And you are here because you, you take issue. Is that correct? <laughs> well, the funny thing is I was thinking about this, and I'm realizing your listeners may not know that there's an issue because the only time that this band has been mentioned uh -oh. was as a okay. mid-tempo, an example of a mid-tempo <laughs> song that people shouldn't want to listen to. But I, I know Jeff Simons. I go back with Jeff. So I know, I know that Mr. Benjamin on this, this podcast does not like Soundgarden. Okay. And the thing is, is I am a rabid. I grew up on, grunge was my first music. I was in fifth grade when uh, 10 and Temple of the Dogs records came out, okay. or when Pearl James 10 came out. It was the first music that I liked, because I was, was listening to, like, Young MC. and New hey Kids there. Bust a move. Like yes, sir. Um, so that was the first music that, like, made me stand up and take notice of, like, what is, what is, what's going on here? So, Well, wait, um, Kyle, Jeff, how do you know Kyle? So Kyle Caprista is a drummer extraordinaire in the Bay Area. He and I okay. have been in the rhythm section for Megan Slankard and the Wreckage oh, for sure. 17 years together. Kyle oh, yeah. is tested with Rich Price. He's a killer session player. He's got dozens of credits. And he's now also the dynamic lead singer of a party band called Mercy and the Heartbeats, which is uh, Great name. a staple. And he's, uh, 
you know, he's got good ears and he's got, he's got good opinions and he's good at being loud about them. So I just thought he was a natural guest <laughs> for this. Wow, you made the trip from drummer to lead singer? Yes, sir. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Following the Eagles path. It's very That's impressive. Right. Yeah, I wish, I wish I sang as well as Don Henley. It makes it a little, little bit easier when you sing that well. So, uh, all right. Well, I've, I had a student come up to me just this week, Kyle, talking about Soundgarden. And I'm like, how do you know Soundgarden? He's like, oh, they're so great. You know, do you know them? I'm like, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm out <laughs> on Soundgarden, kid. Um, so he's going to love this segment. Go ahead. Defend Soundgarden. What, what am I missing what are you missing about? Okay, here's what you yeah. guys are missing about Soundgarden. To me, when you take the autopsy of grunge, which to me, it's, it's appropriate that I'm on in 1996, because this is when Down on the Upside comes out, which is Soundgarden's last record before going on hiatus, and really kind of signals the end of the music industry and MTV supporting grunge as a product that they want to really get behind and try to milk, you know, for a profit. Um, <clears throat> and so to me, uh, there's a great book called Everybody Loves Our Town, uh, it's an oral history of grunge. If people want to learn about the scene and how it came to be, um, that it's a great read. But to me, looking back on it, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, I look at those as the big two. You know, Alice in Chains, there was a big four, which is included Alice in Chains and uh, Nirvana. But to me, right. Nirvana being short-lived and the fact that Alice in Chains was basically a hair metal band until they got into heroin um, just makes it tougher oh. for that, that music to age well. And so to me, I look at Pearl Jam and Soundgarden as the two um, uh, flag carriers for grunge music. Okay. And to me, grunge music was the reincarnation of 70s rock. And you had Pearl Jam, who to me took after The Who, The Kinks, uh, Springsteen, and The Ramones. And then you had Soundgarden, which took after Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Motorhead, and bands like that. Huh. And so to me, a band like... Um, Pearl Jam, it's, it's not surprising that that was the first band I really got into and loved because they were much more accessible. Sure. When, when Super Unknown came out, I had that in my tape deck and I used to walk around uh, with my headphones on it. It was the first record I ever listened to that scared me. It made me uncomfortable. It challenged my ear in a way that um, other records to that point hadn't, even though I love Pearl Jam, but 10 to me is a much easier listen. That's fair. And so... And so to me, they're a band like they, they were the band that was using alternate tunings. They, they created soundscapes. They weren't afraid to be adventurous in that way. Um, and to me, they were, they were a lot like Zeppelin. They have big riffs. They're a four-piece, uh, an amazing, unique drummer that really takes up uh, and plays in a sonic space that not a lot of other drummers play that way. They had a bassist, Ben Shepard, who wrote a lot of songs and played bass in a very melodic, not kind of typical bass player way. And... Um, when I heard that, that Ben didn't, was out on Soundgarden, I'm like, how can a guy who picked a song like Rain Song and who's a, a fan of you know, the Rolling Stones, a band that would do songs like Moonlight Mile and stuff like that, that to me, those are, that's what Soundgarden was channeling. Oh, wait, wait, wait so hold on. <clears throat> What's the Soundgarden Rain Song? And don't uh, say Black Hole Sun, because I've told no. you how I feel about that. No, they have songs like, like Suicide. They have a lot of slower songs that are alternate tunings, take up a lot of interesting sound space. They challenge your ear. I mean, to me, what you said about the Rain song was totally correct. It's a song. It, it, to me, it's a challenging song. It's a longer song. It's got an arc to it. And to me, like, I love Pearl Jam. And as they got later into their career, they started doing some stuff like that. But even, the, even then, they were doing, like, Neil Young's version of that. They weren't doing – there was nobody – pushing in that other kind of uncomfortable direction that for me, 
I really appreciate and like to be challenged in that way. What, what is their islands in the stream? <laughs> What's their islands in the stream? <laughs> probably uh, that. Probably my wave or spoon man would be your islands. We'll in give the stream. A, yeah. Let's um, give a little my wave right here. Yeah. Let's Although to be fair, yeah. There you go. Five four, five four yeah. time. So Kyle, the drummer in Soundgarden is great, and he's the future Pearl Jam drummer. And the drummer's great, so I can understand why if you're a drummer, you would be more into it. Dude, they've got two guitarists, and I, I I was not a big fan, but I had no idea they had two guitarists. I assumed it was one guitarist. They have no interplay between the guitars, and it's not particularly strong either of the players. Like that song, don 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 don. Like one person could play that really easily. Like they don't need two dudes to stand up there and do that. Um, and then like, just for me, and again, like I totally get it. Believe me, Jeff is a huge, huge, huge who fan. And I understand that he's like the who's better than the Beatles and the stones. And Jeff and I know people who are huge Kinks fans. who are like, Oh, no, no, no. the Kinks are better than the who the Beatles and the stones. Right. So I totally get it. And in fact, I love it. I'm here for the Soundgarden people. Like, it makes me super happy to hear you be like, oh, no, this is the A+. This is the best version of it. Um, it's too slow. It's too much of the same pace. And then also, just as a lyrical matter, dude, they're so depressed. Like, Led Zeppelin runs the whole gamut. Uh, my brother went to Berkeley College of Music for the summer, and he took a bunch of guitar classes. And... My brother's a super extra smart guy and is also a, a, a much better guitarist than I am. Anyhow, needless to say, his roommate at the Berkeley College of Music was not a super smart guy. He was a, a way better guitarist than either one of us. Anyhow, my brother's roommate, this is what he had to say about Led Zeppelin. He was like, I love Led Zeppelin. And my brother was like, why? And he's like, they got a song about everything. And my brother was like, really? He's like, yeah, you like Lord of the Rings? They got a song about that. Your girlfriend's a bitch? They got a song about that. You love your girlfriend? They got a song about that. And me and my brother were like, that's, that's true. They really, they cover the whole waterfront. <laughs> Just those three items. Yeah, totally. I was like, oh, look at that. They really do. They have like weird mysticism and bitches and lovable women. There you go. Um, the, for me, Soundgarden, it was like, I mean, I was like, what's the rain song? And you were like, like suicide. And I'm like, no. Sorry, friends. Like, that's not the rain <laughs> song. That's not the same emotion. Wait, did you say like suicide? They have a, a song called the like suicide? They have multiple, super, dude, super grim. They have multiple, and it's really sad the poor guy killed himself. I mean, they have oh. multiple songs that are about suicide. I, I mean, at least I'm not an expert in it, but I put 25% of their catalog as about suicide. 
Yeah. Kyle? Well, the really? thing I, I've been, uh, what I've been actually, what I wanted to ask was just the, the age difference, which isn't a great age difference, but the, but the fact that yeah. like, when I think about music and what was coming, what the popular rock music was right before grunge was hair metal. And yeah. what, I've, what I've always said was, I couldn't imagine myself being in Poison, but I could imagine myself being in Soundgarden. Right. Now, lyrical content aside, it's just a mood and a feeling that, and granted, I'm a huge Van Halen dude. Like, I love fun rock music. But the fact is, the time and the place that I was at when this music hit right. was like, I couldn't have, I'm not, I'm not going to be in a boy band. And <laughs> I, I, I have not done cocaine yet. Um, and I can't imagine, I just can't imagine being in these hair metal bands and putting on makeup and, and primping my hair. But these dudes come out, they just look like they walked out of the rehearsal studio. They got flannels on. And it just hit for me in that way. And then right. later on, I came to more appreciate the 70s kind of rock. But I, I got into these bands first. So the fact that I do like Led Zeppelin, I got into Soundgarden first. So even right. though I realized that, that Soundgarden came after, for me, there's no way to put that genie back in the bottle. Mm. That's exactly why Tim got into Luther Vandross. Right. <laughs> he could see fair. himself as Luther, but he couldn't see himself as somebody else. <laughs> yeah, was I, I love it, man. Well done. Yeah. Hey, Kyle, pick. thanks like so it. much for jumping on, man. You are the you are the uh, the straw that stirs the drink, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I actually remember you from uh, Megan's video. Oh yeah. Right. You were outside the the restaurant that turned into a club for the night. I was. That yeah. was great. Yeah, Muggin if you want to hear Kyle playing, check out records by Megan Slankert or Elliot Randall. All Thanks, right, fellas. Man. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, we'll see you well later. Done, man. I love to get the, the Marty soon. Stewart t-shirt on as well. Awesome. <laughs> Gotta represent. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Kyle. Good stuff. Good stuff. Still don't know about Soundgarden. I will give it a try. I will give it a try. I will report back next week on how it all goes. But for right now, let's get to... I'm, I'm going to predict it doesn't go super well. I'm but, just saying. You're going to want more lightness of being than they're going to be willing to provide. Well, I, I was going to skip this based on time. But I, I, as long as you say that, I was going to do an invitation to optimism tonight rather than oh, an invitation to perfect. cynicism. Yes! Because... One of our heroes dies in 1997, and I just want us to all embrace him and his memory and name our favorite song by John Denver. Uh, ben Barton, you go first. Uh, me, it's optimism. Come on. Hold on. I'm going to try. All right. I really, really, really like the song Country Roads. It's okay. a beautiful song. It's well-written. His version of it is unlistenable crap. But the song itself is great. Um, I, I mean, for those uh, for those listening who don't know John Denver, Jeff, do you have a, a little clip for us? Ready to go? Oh, sure. Thank God I'm a country boy. This is classic John Denver. Super scummy acoustic guitars. He was born in the summer of his 27th year Coming home to a place he'd never Which been Which one is before. this? Talking about I. Oh, yesterday behind him You might say he was born again You might say he found the key for every door 
when he first came to the All right. So here, John Denver is a super talented guy. He's a great guitar player. He's actually an alternate tunings guy. Um, I think there's, there's several strikes that, against him that he can't recover from. One is that he's so insipid. I mean, these songs are just, they're just one note. My favorite John Denver song is also my least favorite. It's Grandma's Featherbed. You guys aware of that one? It was five feet high, nine feet wide, and soft as a downy tick. I mean, it's just unforgivably cheese ball. Um, his voice, this is a guy who actually pronounces the ing in words instead of in. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I'm singing, he's singing. And it just, it, it really distracts me how grammatically <laughs> over-accurate John Denver is. And then okay. he's a total fraud. He was uh, oh, what? a drunk and a and beat up his wife oh no yeah and all this like and just the one note i mean basically it was just a ad for colorado tourism i mean jesus christ so many songs how pretty colorado is like he was definitely on the take but he's a he's a hell of a guitar player and a very good singer and i understand why i do understand why people like him but there's just no chance he's my cup of tea i just don't think you understand what optimism means when I say the invitation to optimism. You did what? not put us what? in a position to succeed. You did, I not, did not. You knew what you were asking for. Yeah, you you completely so hit it. Um, I had no idea. I, lo- I was looking at how many albums he had created. Holy cow. The oh, guy yeah. churned them out from like 68 into the 90s. It was crazy. Oh, listen, that cabin in the mountains doesn't pay for itself, man. He has to <laughs> wring out that cash. All right, let's go. I think of John Denver, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, but I think of John Denver in the same vein as like Jimmy Buffett or uh, like who's another like perennial singer? Like if Don McLean were still alive, like the guy you go watch in a summer venue and do the four songs you're vaguely familiar of and then that's what you give him, right? Right? Sensitive 70s guy. That's fair. I mean, I'm not going to like... That's it. Yeah. I said what I had to say about Country Roads, and that's all I have to offer. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Way to appreciate the framework of the question. Uh, let's go. Our three songs. Our three songs. All right. So Art Alexakis, born 1962. And I'm not going to have to speculate about what a horrible, horrible childhood he has because he writes an entire record about how miserable and unbearable his childhood is. He's five years old when his dad leaves him. He's 12 years old when his mom is hauled off to a mental institution. He's shipped around to various relatives all over the country. Okay. He uh, is a, his brother ODs on heroin when he's 12. His girlfriend kills herself when he's 15. He tries to kill himself when he's 15. He gets addicted to first meth, then cocaine, then heroin. And he's just in and out of various homes. And it's just like, he moves into the projects in LA. Like it's brutal and grim, 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 grim. 89, he kicks drugs. And he's trying to make it as a musician. So he starts out in San Francisco and he's in the cowpunk scene in San Francisco. 
So his first band, which is just awesome, is called The Easy Hose. That's the name of his cowpunk band. And dude, I did not, I'm sad to report, although I don't remember seeing The Easy Hose. I lived in San Francisco in the summer of 1990 and I went to multiple cowpunk shows ah. because I was really, really into Buck Naked and the Bare Bottom Boys. So this is a guy who appears buck naked Boy, that's he's got a, man had to touch it was that he's sure? got a plunger yeah. over his crotch and he wears cowboy boots and a cowboy hat and he's naked that's it and then they wow. do this cowpunk act they do they do like you know uh, johnny cash songs sped up i have one particular show that i remember really vividly i met the i-beam on Haight avenue a club i had to look up to figure out what it was it doesn't exist anymore and it's uh, buck naked and the bare bottom boys and ted zeppelin <laughs> so Ted Zeppelin is a cover act in this cowpunks thing where they do half Ted Nugent, half Led Zeppelin covers. <laughs> Jeff Simons, were they awesome? No question. <laughs> they were awesome, man. I can't say how good Ted Zeppelin was. And and this is pre-Indian canon. I brought a date and that night went swimmingly. Like the buck naked Ted Zeppelin combo. Yeah, I was just sure. all winning sure. all the way home. Did that. not even have to break out the Sean Colvin. <laughs> no, for sure. So he's hanging out in San Francisco trying to make it. In 91, he, uh, I can't remember, it's either his girlfriend or his wife at this time. She gets pregnant and she's like, you're a loser. Uh, you know, you're clean. At least you've got that going for you. I'm moving back to Portland where my parents are from. If you want to see your baby, come on up to Portland. So he moves up to Portland, takes out an ad, gets a drummer and a bassist creates Everclear. And uh, he puts out a, a self-released record that's uh, bad, just bad. Um, they, the grunge thing is so huge in Seattle. And you'll remember this from when we did um, the Black Crows. Like the Athens, Georgia scene was so big that they signed every band in a 150 mile radius. They signed okay. the Georgia right. Satellites, they signed yeah. the Black Crows. And the, the Black Crows were like from a suburban Atlanta and they were like, yeah, sure, whatever. Athens, suburban Atlanta, who cares? Like, yeah. let's just sign them. Dude, they sign everybody in, in Seattle. Literally <laughs> like everybody who's ever been a band in Seattle, they've already signed. So they're like, oh, well, I hear it rains in Portland too. So they go down to Portland and they just start signing whoever's okay. there. So Beating War actually breaks out for Everclear. They sign Everclear. So they put out their second record. And the second record's called uh, Sparkle and Fade. Jeff, can you name the first single? You can name the second single for sure. It's, it's, it's maybe the best Everclear song or the second best one. Well, the second single is Santa Monica. I yeah, can't totally. Remember. Don't look at the screen. What's the I first can't single? Can't remember. All right. So this is how confused they are. They is have it, a, like, a, Santa Monica is an all-time rock song. Like, that is a perfect rock song. And I can't believe that the record company heard this stupid record and wasn't like, oh, there's only one good song on it. Because, by the way, there's only one good song on this record. And it's by a mile, Santa Monica. Instead, they put out the two-minute and 24-second song, Heroin Girl. Ooh. That's an ode to how awesome it is to date girls who are on heroin. Uh. And, the reason they put it out is because it's a horrible, really crappy Nirvana ripoff song. And they've actually signed them as a Nirvana ripoff band. So they're like, oh, we'll put out that Nirvana song. That'll be great. No radio play for that at all. So then they're like, oh, well, there's this other song, you know, Santa Monica, maybe, maybe people like that. Gargantuan, massive hit. Nothing else on the record hits. 
The record is weirdly bad. And I, I went back and listened to it again today. <laughs> There's some so good songs bad? on the record. Oh, okay. Art Alexicus produces it himself. And that's the problem. It sounds terrible. Santa Monica sounds great. Everything else on that record is just like muddy and crappy sounding, very unimaginative. So he sits down to record his third record. They actually put it in the can October 96. They turn to the, the record company. The A&R guy at the record company is like, listen, dude, um, I'll put this record out for you if you want to be a one-hit wonder and never be heard from again. But this record sucks. Go back, re-record it. You've got a better record than you. Re-record all these songs. So Alexakakis is livid, super mad. They go back to Portland. I think they've been recording in LA or San Francisco. They go back to Portland. They, they're practicing in a warehouse. They get a new producer who's not him. They get Neil Avron, who, um, and Jeff, Neil Avron's claim to fame as a producer, according to him, is he records the guitar part first, then the drum part, then the bass part. Does that make a lot of sense for this record? Oh my God, yeah. Right? I mean, and actually, like, it actually makes sense for the record. The record is such a guitar first record. The guitar is the melody and the rhythm. And then they build around the guitar and it just works. Like, it won't always work. Believe me, the next Everclear record I will work for. And then every record after that I won't work for. But for this record, he just captures that sound perfectly. So... The lead singer, the guitarist, the guy who writes all the song is just so mad. He cuts half of the material from what he turned into the record company. He records a brand new record. And it's one of the rawest, most painful records I've ever heard. Like the first song is so much for the afterglow. That's the name of the record. It's got a 45 second minute and a half Beach Boys thing where they're doing these beautiful harmonies. And then it comes into a breakup song, so much for the afterglow. This is a record that has a song about breaking up with a girlfriend. This is a song that has a record about your girlfriend dating somebody else and breaking your heart. This is a song that has a record about your mom getting hauled off to a mental institution. And then most importantly, it has a song about your dad leaving you when you're five and beating your mom in front of you. Super apologetic. Jeff, if you could start at 226 for the third verse, which is like, one of the most searing verses in rock music. Father of Mine by Everclear. Father of Mine, tell me where have you been? Yeah, just close my eyes and the world disappeared. Father of Mine, tell me how do you sleep with the children you
this Ooh. song and this record when it came out, this is my favorite record from that year. This, and the, the record hasn't stayed with me as much. This song has really stayed with me. It had a huge comeback when my daughters were basically six and eight and I was trying to introduce them. I told you, I, when we swimming upstream with rock music, I had a really hard time. They right. just still are very mixed on rock music. One clue and one sign of a song that they're like is if you can tell them a story about the song. So I told right. them a story about the song. I was like, this poor guy, his dad left him. His dad beat up his mom. Like, even as a little kid, they were like, oh, my God. Like, you yeah, just, as soon as you hear it, you can't get it out of your mind. No. So the girls really liked it. And I put it on the Super Fun Kids mix. And then it kind of got into my psyche. And remember I was saying with James Brown, like, part of this list is like a continuing reexamination of male identity. And right. then also this thing is apparent. So the part where he's like, and I'm a grown man with a child of my own. Um, I've come to believe that he's half right on that. So, I mean, obviously my parents were super lovely to me, especially in comparison to this. Um, but there is a version of parenting where you're just reacting to the things that hurt you when you were a little kid. And I totally get that. Like, and uh, believe me, I've been in charge of that. But it's also wrong. Like that's the, not the right way to do it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like you have to let mm -hmm. your kids make their own mistakes. You have to do it your own style. You can't just overreact to what your parents did. Um, it's so hard. It's oh, so no, hard. Oh no, for sure. I mean, Dude, and then like, listen, speaking of hard, the other thing that this reminds me of is uh, there's nothing I've wanted to be better at more than being a parent. Uh -huh. There's no single thing I've ever done in my life that I've cared more about. Uh -huh. um, and the harder I've tried, the worse I've been at it. <laughs> and no, I'm totally serious. Yeah, like, no, in my I, life, yeah, yeah. most of the time when I try hard at something, I'm good at it. This is the opposite. The harder I try, the worse it is. Like this song is like, that's what I mean by like, now I'm a grown man. To a certain extent, you kind of have to pull back and let not let your own pain drive the bus. Because if you're letting your own pain drive the bus, it's not going to work out. And then this is super extra mega sad. But this poor guy, like it's, it's alleged that he beat up his, his, his daughter's mom. Like that's, I, uh. I'm not going to say whether that's true or not. But I mean, there's a repeated cycle to this. Oh, and then like, this is a funnier story. So... Good, because that huge, one wasn't funny at all. No, right. He's a huge, <laughs> huge, huge pain in the ass, this guy. And you can tell from the story and from the album that he's just kind, I mean, he's just a real exacting person and a pain in the ass to deal with. The 20-year anniversary of this record, I was like, well, I consider this record a masterpiece. There must be a bunch of, so a bunch of stories about it. There really aren't very many. There's an <laughs> oral history of this album from the Willamette Weekly. Okay, so this is the free weekly paper that comes out in Portland. And he, he refuses to be interviewed for this, even though the producer and the drummer and the bassist and the original producer who we fired are all interviewed for it. So I'm like, why would this guy not talk to the Willamette Week? Well, dude, then you read through it. He was a, like, he's the most hated guy in Portland. He was voted most hated musician in Portland like seven oh, no. years in a row in this stupid thing. They oh. called him a carpetbagger. They were like, he's not representative of the real Portland. They buried this guy. So needless to say, he didn't talk to the Willamette yeah. Weekly. So here they are 20 years later, still killing him. Still <laughs> killing him. It was so funny. And they actually went back. Part of the oral history is they got the original critic from the Willamette Weekly who was like, oh yeah, I interviewed him. He's a huge dickhead. 
and then just <laughs> buried him again 20 years later. It would be like, like imagine who you had the worst interaction with 20 years ago, and they interviewed yeah. you, and you got a chance to rebury <laughs> the guy. Like, it's so good. Oh, I, wanted it, I wanted it to be a happy that ending. <laughs> that was great. You're spot on, by the way. The other song on this record you have to listen to is I Will Buy You a New Life. That song yeah. is just equally That's the song to his mother? No, no, that's to his, yeah. that's to his, to his, to his, to his baby mama. Yeah, here's the money that I brought you for paying the bills. I'll give a little more when I get paid again. Well, and he's talking about money this other boyfriend. Money is the root of all that kills. They have never known, sir. They have never known the joys of a welfare Christmas. That is a, that sounds uh, cutting. That's just brutal. It's great. I um, will always be weird inside. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So painful. So painful. Funny, that's a record where if it got under your skin, you couldn't let go of it. Because I had like an eight-month obsession with so much for the afterglow. And I, I, I don't have it anymore. But in, in 98, 99, I played that record a lot. It oh, really yeah, me played, too. It really punched me in the gut. But speaking of records, I have played a lot. Um, yeah, so my pick let's is, go. My pick is boring and obvious. And uh, to quote Jack Black and High Fidelity, why don't you just pick Beethoven's Fifth Symphony side one track one? Like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's nothing clever about this but sometimes you have to get out of your own way and just pick so 1997 is the last year i can think of where a rock album well maybe you can make an argument for 2000 we'll see we're gonna get there but i think okay computer by radiohead is the last moment that the entire rock music community rallied around a single record the way it used to, the way Abbey Road would be on everybody's stereo or the way that a Stones record would do that. The, the, the rock music fan group had become pretty fractured by 1997. And there's guys like Kyle listening to Soundgarden and other people listening to other stuff. And there isn't, there are very few records everyone can agree on anymore. Everyone's got a beef with something about somebody or some other. And, um, and I, that's probably me included. Like I just, we, we were starting to consume our music differently and there was so much and, you know, but I can remember uh, hearing Paranoid Android for the first time and before the voice even started, like just the first 40 seconds of instrumental introduction, I was, I was like, this is spectacular. And I liked the Benz, but I didn't love it. Like, I heard Creep and thought Creep is a perfectly fine little single, but I thought that the, 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 um, the production on the first radio head record was hard to get through. Like I like those songs, but I don't love that, the sound of that record. And when I listen to those songs, I listen to live versions. The Benz is a, I thought was a really good record, but, but it, um, it didn't grab me the way it grabbed you like Ben or other people. Like, I mean, I didn't dislike it and I liked it, but it wasn't like, the record of the year for me and okay computer was like instantly a record i was like this i don't i'm gonna buy this the day it comes out and and it was because i'd heard paranoid android as an advanced track and then as i was talking to friends and talking about music I'm not, and okay computer was the first thing everybody brought up i was just like have you heard okay computer and people were talking about it and they were they were they had really hard opinions on it they loved it or they didn't love it but they everybody couldn't stop listening to it um, and I've, I've made the argument to my rock band class that 
if you if you were going to put like only 10 songs in a time capsule for every decade like i think it's an almost impossible exercise to do but every decade there's at least one song where i'm like that if that one's not in there the list means nothing and any list of the 10 most important songs of 90, of the 90s regardless of genre that doesn't have paranoid android on it isn't credible that song is it's in three parts it's brilliantly constructed it's brilliantly recorded um and and very much so for the guitar solos the two guitar solos of paranoid android like i fell in love with the electric guitar again like i think they're they're so brilliantly inventive and they're so squalling and chromatic and dissonant but also incredibly beautiful at the same time and uh this record has this song has like all the great polyrhythmic drumming that we just heard in father of mine played on the rim instead of the head by uh uh Selway and like the interplay between the guitars is so gorgeous and give it up for tom york the lyrics are beautiful and his voice is just all over the place it's soaringly beautiful it's viciously angry they let themselves be beautiful and they let themselves be ugly um, another example of just everything I love about rock music, the energy, the melody, the frustration, the rage, the sonic assault, the tension and release, Paranoid Android. Paranoid Android by Radiohead. It's six and a half minutes, but it's the six and a half minutes that goes by for me in like two minutes every time. Like I'm never, yeah, like, never sick of it. And it's so many different things happening. It's got one of the greatest bass parts, like the pre-chorus bridge instrumental section. The bass part is just genius and, and counterpoint to what the guitars are doing. And Can you uh, tell me what, what are the instruments being played in that song? Well, so that, that beginning is just bass, acoustic guitar, and drums, but then they bring in these wonderful old 70s synths, okay. several different kinds of, of electric guitars, all coming through different kinds of speakers and effects. Um, but the other thing is, like, I've seen York play Paranoid Android solo acoustic, and it completely holds up as a composition. Just, it's a great song first, and then it's a great band performance second a lot of people call yeah. this record the dark side of the moon of its generation and i prefer this record so much to dark oh, side yeah i think it's yeah. so much better um and maybe it's just because dark side of the moon came out when i was five and this one came <laughs> out when i was not five and so it hit me like a freight train but uh i've listened to this record too many times for me to be surprised by it anymore but um that i think paranoid android is uh that band's crowning achievement and one of the one of the best rock and roll songs ever recorded. Wow. Yeah, it's a great song. The Both record favorite. is great. 
And also, I mean, so first of all, I actually, I've said before, I prefer the Benz. Um, that being said, I recognize this as a, a, a big artistic statement and a leap forward. Uh, it's a super challenging record. It's got really weird songs. On it. It, I mean, basically the reason I prefer the Benz is it's got some songs on here that I don't even really like. I don't like the, the tourist um, and no surprises. I don't like the, the, uh, the, the those slow ones aren't, don't, don't hold up in comparison to the ones on the Benz. That being said, the record is amazing. I, my one recommendation would be Glassenberry, June 28th, 1997. I know Justin oh. agree with me. Dude, just peak of their powers. And it's a blend of the Benz and this record. Wait, and you, say it again, you, say it again, say it again, say it again. It's Glassenberry, Glassenberry June 1997. And it's one of those ones where, um, like on my iTunes, I'll have the uh, uh, bootleg and I'll have three or four songs. I have the entire right. album in yep. order. And I'll sit down and listen to it in order. Like, just like if I'm in the mood, I'll just be like, oh, I'll just listen to that entire show yes. in order, which is not something that you, I don't, I do without CDs anymore. But I mean, it's that good. It's wow. I believe how good they are. Yep. yep. So great. Just, just before they're, just before fame makes life difficult for them at the absolute height of their powers, they love all the early stuff. They're in, so in love with their new material. And it's, a you know, it's, they're headlining the pyramid stage at the biggest festival in their home in country. In the world, yeah and, yeah. and they just bring it. I mean, usually oh. the stadium shows aren't the ones where bands are like at their peak, but Ben is so right. That Radiohead at Glastonbury has got to be one of the all-time great. And it's and it was recorded by for FM radio, so the sound is great. It's mixed really well. I feel, I mean, yeah, I just love it. And I will have a Radiohead song to come. I love Radiohead. I love this record. And this entire period, this entire Radiohead era is just amazing. They're the A-plus band at this time. They're definitely the ones who are pushing the limits. Well, that is fascinating because I don't know what you've got ahead of you because this is it for me. Shut it you, down. You no said that no more Radiohead. Nah, well, I, he, talked me into, he talked me into this Android. All right, <laughs> gentlemen, you've done well tonight. I like both your songs. Uh, but you both have come up short because the best song from 1997 uh, isn't one of your little three-minute radio songs or one of your six-minute, like, art rock songs. It's a 16-minute song. Jeff, we're going to the Highlands. Oh, my oh, oh Timmy. Hey, and my heart's he, in the Highlands. My heart's in the Highlands. We're going there with uh, our good friend Bob Dylan. And this is, this is my favorite part of this. Usually I say, oh, started at the three minute mark. Jeff, I want you to start Highlands at the 1045 mark. Okay. And we'll, put, we'll bring it home. Highlands by Bob Dylan. Well, she says you just don't seem like you do. I said you're way wrong. Says which ones have you read then? I said read Erica John. She goes away for a minute, and I slide out out of my chair. I step outside back to the busy street. But nobody's going anywhere I 
Where my heart's in the highlands With the horses and hounds Way up in the border country Far from the towns With the twang of the arrow And the snap of the bow in the highlands I can't see any other way to go Oh, so great. So listeners, if you've never heard this song, it's a lot like that, but for 16 minutes, right? I mean, you can't go wrong with a song that knows what it is and really kind of draws it out for you over the course. Like musically, it's the exact same the whole time, right? More or less. That's 12 bar, right? Yeah. Do you get bored playing something like that, gentlemen? You can you- if it's not good. Yeah, I think the worst job in America is bass player in a, in a blues band. I, I mean, just playing one, four, five all night. Like, I can't do it, but. <laughs> but, but if the- you're hanging out with Bob Dylan and he's telling a story about walking into a diner and not knowing what to order. And the waitress says, what, Ben Barton? <laughs> so can I, can I do the long version of what I have yeah, to say? Yeah, go ahead. Long version. Right, so ahead. the first thing I'll say is I'm a sports fan. Y'all are sports fans. You're going to get yes. this. If you've rooted for a baseball team and you've had a pitcher who every third time out just throws a no-hitter, and then every second time out, they're kind of mediocre. And then every third time out, it's just like straight down the pipe, nothing but home runs. <laughs> These are your selections, Tim Plain. They're amazing. <laughs> just when I think that I'm just completely out on the Tim Plain selections, you just bring me back in. No hitter. Uh, David Wells, the Yankee pitcher who threw the no hitter. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or, or how about Dion Waiters, the basketball player? Yeah. Every fourth, sh- every two out of three shots, you're like, what are you doing, Dion? What are you yeah. doing? And then every the third one just is just stroking beautifully. I love this song. This is one of my favorite Bob. Dylan. It's really it's a top ten Bob Dylan song for me. It really it's is. A, it's I a bizarre it. random song. So the, the 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 beginning and the end of the song and it's perfect. I love where you cut it off and started it with my heart in the highlands or the hearts in the hounds. Yep. It's a long, really beautiful poetic rumination on death. Like the whole album's about death and actually basically dylan's first record's about death he's always singing about death but this is like he's at the tail end of things like he's got a whole part in it where he's in the park and he's watching young people and he's like i would trade my life with any of them do i give up everything just to be young again like that's what Uh the song's about uh-huh. And then there's this middle part where there's a five-minute story where he goes into a diner in Boston. And he's like, there's nobody around. It must be a holiday. And then he sits down, and, he, and the woman comes over, and she's like, what, what do you want? want? And he's like, I don't know what I want. And she's like, I bet you want eggs. And he's like, that's a hard-boiled yeah. egg. He's like, that's yeah. right. That's what I want. Bring me some. And she's like, you picked the wrong time to come. We don't have them. <laughs> Then he goes through this thing where she asks him to paint a picture of her and he draws this really ugly picture and she's super mad at him. 
So then she yep. says to him, I bet you don't read women authors much. And he's like, that, and this is where we pick up the song. That's where yeah. you're way wrong. And she's like, which ones have you read? I read Erica Jong. <laughs> and when you can rhyme wrong and Erica Jong, you've got it going on. And the yeah. thing that's amazing is there's no, the rest of this stupid part where he's mumbling about ordering eggs doesn't rhyme right. at all. It's like a spoken word And he just slips poem. out. Yeah, he chooses to choose the rhyme those two. Only, is, only topped by Chuck Woolery and Tom Foolery and Beastie Boys. Yeah, no, but I mean, just an all-timer. I love this one. And also similar to what I was saying, like this is just late period Bob Dylan where he can still rear back and throw 100. Like, I mean, this is just a great song. Yeah, right. I love it too. I, I still think Not Dark Yet is the song off this record. Not Dark Yet is... Uh, just destroys me from but i'm getting there um yeah um, and i just think it's it the 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 quality of the of the musicians on that song like they the musicians get that song exactly right in the background um my problem with time out of mind is they it's recorded so quickly that the musicians are just starting to get comfortable on the final take like i wish they'd taken one more day on it but uh they some of the songs they get they get totally right but uh we great choice yeah, we've gone on too long. I tell you what, though, um, Not Dark Yet might just be the podcast theme song, right? We're still oh, kicking. Too grim. We're still too grim. We're on the other side of the hill, but we're still kicking. <laughs> I guess that's better than Father of Mine. We definitely don't want that to be the name of the <laughs> no, show. Not, <laughs> Dear not Lord. Dark yet, but it's getting there. Oof, uh, I'm not ready for that, Tim. No way. All right. Well, gentlemen, thanks so much for a great night. By the way, Jeff, was... that's Tim rubbing it into us. We're 51 and he's 50. Right. He's dunking I'm, all over us now. I'm starting to, I'm starting to feel the shade. We're going to have to work on that. Um, yeah, okay. thanks, brothers. I'll see you next week. Well done. Talk Thank you, you Jeff. Thank you, Tim. Awesome. Great job, fellas. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baclaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.